Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. What's my story? In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. As a mentor and certified coach, I help award-winning filmmakers, professional authors, ghostwriters, songwriters, and other self-employed creatives to do the same. If you find inspiration from this podcast, I encourage you to begin the next stage of your own hero's journey. Will you resist the call to adventure? Or will you make the choice to embark on a quest of growth and fulfillment? In the description and show notes, you'll find a link to book your free 30-minute discovery session. Or you can email me, ethan at ethanfreckleton.com, including fearless storyteller in the subject. Today's guest on The Fearless Storyteller is Cecilia Mecca, author of historical romance and also writing under the name C.L. Mecca for paranormal romance. Cecilia Mecca, welcome to The Fearless Storyteller. Hello, Ethan. Thanks so much for having me here today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's, it's been a couple years since we had the opportunity to chat in person. Was uh, it two years met. ago? Yeah, we met in Vegas in 2017, I want to say, at yeah. the uh, first 20 Books conference. And I got to meet both yourself and your husband, and I remember both of you quite clearly. From I, I do as well, and I, I remember the uh, the bar quite clearly <laughs> there at 20 Books. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, absolutely. You can say whatever you want. And Do you remember the light show? Yes. And we're going to be back this year. Are you going to be back this year as well? Uh, probably not. I got a couple Aww. other conferences right in that time frame. So Bummer. I'm, I am bummed to miss it. Um, for the audience, you want to tell them a little bit about yourself? What sure. you do? Absolutely. So I was in education for 15 years as an English teacher. Uh, moved into curriculum instruction. So I basically taught teachers um, in Northeast Pennsylvania where I live. And mm. so I did that for five years. So I was in education for a total of 20 years. And I think every English teacher wants to write a book. And so certainly I did. Uh, I actually started one back in college 20 Mm. years ago and just never really got to it, you know, with everything else happening and career and kids and such. So two years ago, I think 2016, actually three years ago, I decided to kind of pull that research back out, um, Reddit joint rejoined RWA. I'm a romance author. So RWA Mm. is Romance Writers of America. And that's where I started just kind of getting my feet wet in the lingo and learning, you know, all things publishing and writing. And finally went ahead and wrote that book. And the goal at the time wasn't full-time career. It was, I would really just like to write and publish a book. And so I did finally do that in February of 2017. And, you know, here we are, what, two, two plus three years later. And yeah, career, so it's uh, it's been quite a journey. I think that when we met, you were maybe two or three months into you had quit your job okay. to do this. Yeah, so um, that was fun. <laughs> and so, what do you remember? Kind of like what it was where you were at in 2016 that like that you felt like you had to go back to writing. Yeah, I remember clearly it was, and it might have been was it coming into 2016? I can't remember exactly, but it was. My sister, who I, you know, she, I had been talking about my book, my medieval romance. I've always kind of been an Anglophile and 
very interested in, mm. in medieval England and, you know, the, my two loves were fantasy and romance. And so I'd always talked about this book and just some of the research that I would do. And I guess I've been talking about it for 20 years because she said, basically mm. either do it or don't, but you know, <laughs> we've been hearing about this a <laughs> long time. I said, I don't have time. I had a business at the time and I still do a social media influencer network business. Um, just kind of a side thing mm -hmm. because I was a blogger. And so we had the business and the kids and the career. And I said, there's just no time. She said, well, you were just yelling at me about, you know, not making time because I always say I want to exercise and I don't. And you said you had to make time. So I don't know how this is different. Oh, touche. Yeah. So you leave it to your sibling to kind of tell you where it's at. I said, well, it's not, well, it's a little different now. She's like, it's not different. So <laughs> I got a kick in the pants. Basically it was either do it or don't, but stop talking about it. So I decided to give it a shot. That's great. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> your sister's kicking the pants is yeah, that's, that's what they're meant to do, I suppose. Yeah. And so it sounds like you've had passion for what you're writing in the entire time. Yeah. And did you, so you write what's considered to be kind of steamy mm -hmm. romance. Yep. It's historical. And I guess you got into paranormal romance as well. Yeah which is exciting that you're following your muse. Was there like anything about that being a school teacher, professional influencer that like gave you pause about what you were going to write? Yeah. At the time I was actually out of the classroom. So if I was still an eighth grade teacher, which, you know, was my first career, that would have been probably an issue. And, and, and I would have gone with a pen name. Um, but at the time mm -hmm. when I did this, I was working for kind of a step down unit of the state department of education and, uh, going into schools and teaching teachers. And so I was dealing with adults. And so I had a discussion actually with my boss about it. And I said, here, this is what I'm going to do on the side. And we kind of agreed that that really wasn't an issue because my audience were, were other adults. Um, but if it was, like I said, 13 year olds, then it would have been a whole different story. So that's why mm -hmm. it didn't necessarily um, become an issue. And certainly wasn't an issue when I went and quit my job that made it even easier, but <laughs> I didn't go with the pen name just because I did have an online presence because I had been blogging mm -hmm. for a lot of years. So I really didn't want to create a whole new online presence, but it was a concern and something I just kind of navigated and decided that it was okay. And it was fine. Right. And so that was a professional concern. Did you have any personal concern? Did you have any personal concerns? Um, just that in that I didn't want my family to read it. Other that was other than that, no. <laughs> I really told <laughs> some people in my life. I mean, it's it's steamy. It's not erotica. Which even if it was, um, I would still have the same concerns. You know, just please don't read the book. And I told specifically people, do not read this book. And none of them listened. And uh -huh. you know, to this day, I'm like, Could you, can we not talk about it? You know, certain aunts and things like that. Um, my kid's babysitter, you know, who I had high respect for, and just I wasn't really super comfortable with it. I said to her, "Do me a favor and maybe don't read these." And of course, the next time I saw her after my first book was published, she's like, "I loved it." I said, "Oh God, um." Yeah, so that's that sounds like really effective word of mouth marketing. Yeah, uh, that you've stumbled into. You know, I haven't really thought about it, but maybe maybe I should just run around and start saying that again. You know what? Just don't do me a favor. Do not read these. They're too steamy. I think I think I'm ready to try that on myself. We'll <laughs> see how it goes. <laughs> Can kind of do some A B marketing and, and testing and see. I might have found a new strategy. Yeah, I might have found a strategy yeah. here today. My new imprint don't read this. <laughs> I love it. That's brilliant. <laughs> so why writing? Why do you, do you have like a mission or a higher concept or a purpose beyond kind of the joy of doing it? Well, I suppose when you put your words to paper and especially now that they're published, you are immortal, right? So I thought about mm. this for a long time because I am writing genre fiction and I came from, you know, uh, that's an industry that is maybe not genre fiction friendly. So I had, um, I had, I just say about 10 years ago, gone back and got a PhD in education. I clearly remember sitting in a class talking about, you know, what is value, what is fiction and what is literature. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, after this class tonight, I'm going to be reading a, you know, Scottish medieval romance, because that's what I did. I'd always loved that, you know, as a, as a, um, as a genre just to read. 
And someone, of course, mm-hmm. brought romance up and, you know, it was bashed pretty categorically in this, you know, PhD class. And I thought, okay, well, let's, let's have this internal discussion about, you know, what is, what is literature? What is fiction? What is all of the, these things? So I've given a lot of thought to it. And I would like to say, I just always had these stories in my head and I wanted to put out there, but honestly, I think some of it is, you know, being able to pass on a legacy, you know, I would love my, my own daughter to read these someday. Not yet. She's not ready. She's 13, but um, the women in these stories are ones that I absolutely am proud to pass on to her to read. So I think there's some of that if I'm being honest, but for the most part, I've loved romance and all things medieval for as long as I can remember, probably since I got a book, you know, I know the Hobbit isn't necessarily medieval England, but it's kind Mm -hmm. of where I got my start in, uh, love my love of literature. And so I th- just have always had these two, two loves and being able to marry them and now I make a career out of it. Really. That's, that's, you know, as exciting as it gets for me. Yeah. So I, I, I went through some of your Amazon customer reviews and, Uh-oh. <laughs> and good, goodness gracious. And on Goodreads, we've got almost 5,000. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. That's good no, because Goodreads, I, I, you know, I, I tiptoe in there and then I back right back out. So yeah, well, I think I guess Amazon's made it easier yeah. now that like if your accounts are integrated in any review right. book, they just show up. But this one reader said, "I love, love, loved this book. <laughs> I think this is some of Cecilia's best writing yet. This is on your book one of your Order of the Broken the Blade." Series. Yeah. Um, but the part that caught my eye was she the the reader said a heroine with some good sense the kind that has been so uncommon in heroines I've read recently. That's awesome. Yeah. And I just connected that with what you were saying about how you want, you hope that your daughter will read these books when she's ready. And so what is it kind of the lesson that sounds like maybe there's a lesson there or an intention to, to do something empowering with your characters. I'd love to. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would love to get to a point, where a strong female heroine isn't an anomaly because when I hear that term and I've actually Mm. used it myself in marketing materials and things like that. But when I hear that, I think, well, what, is there another kind of female here? You know, and I I know there is, there's all kinds of characters, but Mm. it's almost sometimes said as if that's, you know, um, some kind of elusive unicorn or something, you know, a strong female. And so I would love to get to a point where that's just, that's just the way it is. That's how, the women are written. And, um, you know, I think if I'm really digging deep and since you're forcing me to do it, you know, being raised by a single mom <laughs> who is, was always very empowering. I think there's definitely lessons she taught me mm. that I want to pass on. And that's, you know, when you walk into a room, um, you know, as a woman, I guess, specifically you belong there. And, yeah. you know, even if it's a room filled with men, you belong there. And I don't think that's a lesson that all girls always necessarily receive, you know, back when, I was teaching eighth grade. We did this thing called girls night for a bunch of years. And it was a lock-in, a 24-hour lock-in. A whole bunch of female teachers and I kind of got together with this really neat, I I think, neat idea. And we had programming Mm. for the entire night. And we kind of locked them in and we did an overnight. They were going from eighth grade into ninth grade. And that was probably one of the things I was most proud of in my 15 years of teaching. Just, you know, the comments and the um, excitement. And then later on, years years after the event, girls coming back and just saying how empowering that was, you know, to learn from other people in careers and the women's resources there and things like that. So, um, I, you know, I guess this has really always been a part of, of who I am and the lessons I want to pass on. So, and it seems maybe funny to do that in romance, but to me, not so much because honestly, that's, I started with sweet Valley high when I was probably my daughter's age, 12, 13 years old. And, uh, Romance novels right. can be, you know, more than I think what people realize that they are. Um, and I think any genre fiction, you could probably say that for. So, Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, thanks for sharing. And, and did you, did it, did it feel like when you're growing up with your mom, you know, teaching mm-hmm. you these lessons, whether it was through her actions or her words, um, did it take a while for those lessons to stick for you to feel like, I belong in this into room. adulthood for sure. I mean, 
you know, I would love my daughter to be at the point I am now at 13. And just today, as a matter of fact, we mm. picked up my son from a basketball camp at my alma mater, my college alma mater, and we were walking through the campus. And I even thought of this, you know, it's like, it's going to be a long time before she can get to the point where she feels comfortable, but maybe she can get there sooner than me. I'm not sure, but it's definitely into adulthood. Yeah. And I remember actually in the, uh, second career that I had. So this is only, you know, it's not that long ago, uh, seven years ago, kind of walking into a meeting, which as a curriculum consultant was with all of the superintendents in our school districts. So we served Northeast Pennsylvania. So there's 20 some districts. And I was introduced as this is the new English language arts, you know, curriculum consultant for our area. So I served, you know, 22 districts. And when I walked in, it was the mm -hmm. superintendents of all 22 schools. And Every single one of them was a man. And, you know, so I guess at that point I felt like mm. I belonged, but I definitely noticed. I was like, okay, these are the most important, so to speak, um, people in our, you know, in education, in our area. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. We, we still have a ways to go, I think. <laughs> but at least I did Great. feel okay being there. But I definitely kind of crossed my mind. Like, okay, these are lessons that I still have to teach my own daughter because it's still, you know, relevant. You know, the fact right. that you have to feel comfortable. So you're... Yeah. you're you're making a conscious decision then to stand up and right. And, you know, there's yeah. that key word in, in, in what you do with your online business being an influence influencer. But when you talk about that room, mm -hmm. with the superintendents, right. They're, they're influencers, right. in in terms of what happens where they're right. at. And I, I love that as a parent, you're taking risks and following your dreams. And have you thought about Thank that? Thank you. Yeah. And as are you, I, I have absolutely thought of that because no matter what I say, I know the kids are watching more than they're listening. Well, I know they're doing that. I hope because they're definitely mm -hmm. not listening, <laughs> but they're, they're always watching. And so sometimes my husband and I will get really wrapped up in the book business because he's really a part of what I'm doing now. Um, you know, he runs a lot of all my Amazon ads and he does a, a lot of this, you know, he, you met him at the mm -hmm. conference because he's very involved. And sometimes we yeah. get wrapped up. And my son actually said to me one time, he's like, you and dad talk about books a lot. And I, I thought, you know, that's okay though. I want you to hear what we're talking about. I want you to hear, this is what entrepreneurship looks like and sounds like, and I'm, I'm hoping some of it rubs off on them. So yeah, I'm absolutely aware of that because I do think they, they watch and listen more than, you know, me saying to them, Hey, I want you to do this. Um, that kind of goes into one ear and out the right. other. And, and, and they're probably old enough at the time you decided to walk away from your, you know, your day job career, um, to remember the conversations you were having then and what that transition was. And we like. did have discussions with them about it as well. And I still do to this day. And I say, do you know how exciting it is that mom gets to do what she loves? And I'm very deliberate about showing that to them because I think at one point as, as a parent, you know, as someone who kind of went through the whole gamut of education, that was the main goal for me, for my own kids. You know, mm -hmm. I want them to do what I did and go to college and maybe advanced degree and all of that. And I have to tell you now with this second career, my, my thinking has definitely shifted. I want them to love what mm -hmm. they do with the passion. And if that means college, great. If it doesn't, I would be much more okay with that now than I was five years ago, because truly, if they can find something they love to do, then it isn't work. And I know you hear that and, you know, whoever Steve Jobs said that and you think, okay, that mm -hmm. sounds great, but it is actually true. And so you know, I hope I'm leading by example in terms of this career because it's, it's just, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. And I think about this a lot and definitely had a lot of thought about it. Um, my wife was a teacher for a number of years. And when we met, she was a teacher and I had a kid from, you know, previous marriage when I was in my twenties and getting my first job and out of college and all those things. And so I have my child who saw me go through all the struggles of doing work mm -hmm. that I didn't really want to do. Um, and bearing out that obligation of supporting mm -hmm. the family, right. And just kind of sucking it up and to have an opportunity to bring another child into the world with a positive growth mindset with both the parents, you know, ready to follow our dreams and thrive. Um, I really, that's my number one reason for sticking with this whole 
following my dreams and self-employment and doing things of benefit for others. Um, I think it's important to, to lead by yeah, example, awesome. as you say. And so, yeah, and I loved, I mean, that's one of the things I remember about you and your husband was mm-hmm. that he was in your corner and he was helping yep. you with your business. And that's, that's yeah, just so I huge. mean, we were talking just the other day, my daughter's all of a sudden into the idea of boyfriends. I hope she's not into boyfriends yet, but she's into the idea of boyfriends and such. And <laughs> I just keep telling her, I'm like, if, if you find someone that treats you like daddy treats me, you'll, you'll be in good shape. Like that's, that's it. But, and again, you can say anything you want. It's they're watching and they're seeing, um, you know, kind of what we do on a day-to-day basis. And I'm lucky. I mean, he has been right from the start, you know, when I said, okay, I, can you get the kids into the tub because I'm going to go up and write a chapter on this book that may or may not be published. I mean, surely he didn't know a few years later, this would be mm-hmm. a career for me. This would be a boon for our you know, family financially. I mean, he had no idea. So for me, that's been really helpful. And I know not everyone has that. And, you know, I like to think I could have done it either way, but it's been absolutely easier to have someone, you know, in my corner the whole time from the beginning, you know, day one. And that's part of the drive now. You know, my next goal is to have him be able to help me full time because he's kind of toward the end of his career as an engineer. He's helping me and he's enjoying it. And I think, Mm. wow, it would be such a great, cool thing to do to be able to have him work for me part time, maybe do a little golfing that I know he loves to do. And so the next goal is to take care of him, you know, so we'll see. Yeah, that's what I'm working toward. That's great. And now in your journey as this new career, um, success, I mean, success is a nebulous word. I'm sure you can define it for yourself. Maybe I'll let, I'll let you do that in a moment, but the, the, in terms of the traditional success that people think about in terms of Mm -hmm. being able to make a living with what you're doing, um, that happened pretty quickly for you. And, and I'm curious to peek underneath the hood, with that, like how much of that was luck and how much of that was having a plan and being informed at the time that you, I would made your probably launch. put it at about 50, 50, <laughs> because I think some of it with the luck part, I think I jumped into a genre that was small enough that I could get noticed, but big enough that it could sustain, mm-hmm. um, a career. And that was definitely by luck. Jumping into medieval romance was not something that I did deliberately. Now, looking back, if I were advising someone else who wanted to do this as a career, I would be more deliberate with what genre they chose mm-hmm. because I think there is definitely something to, you know, if the readers are out there, you're you're definitely helping yourself. If they're not, then this might be a passion project or it might be a hobby or, you know, that kind of thing. But for me, it just, I didn't luck into that. And I did it because I've always loved it. I mean, that's the book I started back in college was a medieval historical yeah. romance. Um, but even now there are some challenges to that. I jumped into paranormal because I'm feeling that, you know, I have been in the last year or two, like you said, following the muse and that's been tougher because it's a bigger genre. So, um, I do, I do think I lucked into a really nice niche. So there is that part, but I also have always been online. Well, for as long as I can remember as a blogger, I've been a blogger for 10 years, you know, as a kind of a parent blogger, and tapped mm-hmm. into the influencer community. And then I had this business, which didn't really help necessarily because it's a whole different, you know, we have a lot of bloggers in our network, but I don't really utilize them in any way as a book, you know, as an author, but, right. um, but it helped in that I knew how important an online presence was. I knew about unifying my presence. So, you know, kind of shifting everything to, instead of parent blogging or talking about Disney, as soon as I decided, you know, to indie publish and I realized that this was a business you know, to put a book out and and to sell it. One of the first things I did was, was shift my online presence. So I started talking on Instagram, which I already had. Hmm. I think I had an Instagram, but I definitely had a Twitter and a Facebook and I started talking more about my books. And so definitely I lost some audience that weren't interested in that, but that was okay with me because I was shifting. And so building that online presence was absolutely deliberate. And I think the genre getting lucky there was, was kind of, like I said, the lucky part, but it did happen fairly quick. I mean, once I decided to go indie and I did that having gone to a conference in RWA national convention, I met a, you know, just another author who mm-hmm. she, I was 100% the trad route. I had a whole list of agents to pitch and things like that. And, um, I might've sent a few emails. I was very early stages, like book just got finished. And when I met this other author, she was right. in Scottish historical romance and, 
Um, and I love meeting people. And I think networking is probably one of those things we don't talk about enough because other people absolutely helped me get where I am just, you know, and recommendations mm -hmm. and here's a good editor, things like that. But having met her and she talked about indie publishing, she said, you know, if you go to the library right now, how many medieval romances do you see on the historical shelf? I said, well, none, they're all Regency. So she said, you know, think about that. <laughs> think about what that means in this journey. And mm -hmm. um, so I kind of went indie before I really fully explored the traditional route. And um, so let's see, that was about a year about a year before I, I quit. So it did happen fairly quick because I learned that one of the things I needed to do was right. publish. Um, well, I couldn't write, take 20 years to write a book, for instance. <laughs> the first one took that long and the second one couldn't. So I, I knew that I kind of saved my first book. I was about to publish the first book when I found some courses that helped me and, you know, some, some guidance, but mm -hmm. I realized luckily before I published it that, wait a minute, I can't publish this and then publish my next one in six months or eight months. So I held on to it. I created a reader magnet, a free novella. And so I just kind of found enough information at the right time just before I published right. because I had been learning, teaching myself, you know, and, and researching. Um, so when I did publish, I did have the prequel novella book one and book two all within say like a five month period to put out and building a newsletter. And I already mm -hmm. had the online presence. So it was after about six months or you know two and a half books that I was almost replacing my income. So I said, okay, I'm about to go back into teaching, back into you know um, education here in September. And my, right. it was again my husband's idea. He said, you know, you're definitely going to lose momentum because I was really kind of steamrolling this sum that summer. And I said, yeah, but it's you know you mm. have to do what you have to do. Um, I can't give up a pension and just leave. And he's mm. like, or can you? I said, uh oh, <laughs> that idea. That's a dangerous, That's a dangerous question. question right Once there. that took root, like there was no turning back. I said, well, hmm, let me call the, you know, teachers union and see what they say about retirement. And yeah, it was, I think two weeks later that I handed in my resignation. So. Wow. That, that, that's a lot of work. To it feels fast, feels but yeah, fast I think at my presence, like I said, online, I had been building for probably 10 years. So. Yeah. So you, you mentioned a lot of this self-directed yep. learning that you did um, and then networking. And I know from my own experiences that like my, my inclination is to try to figure it all out myself. And that's definitely a longer path. And I know that in the moments where I really leveled up and accelerated into doing stuff that was aligned with market right. and being yeah. <laughs> sellable or, or people being interested in it, that it took a shift, right? Like it wasn't enough to be learning by myself. I needed mentors. I needed like clear, transparent right. insights. Right. And like, do you feel like that served you? It sounds like, you know, buried in there, there was those aha moments like, Oh, I need to fix something or shift something yeah, in my plan. For sure. There really was a few of those work. aha moments. And I think they came from um, other people. You know, the first was my editor. So I had no idea about how to hire my mm -hmm. own editor because, you know, after I decided to go indie, that was one of the first things on my to-do list. Um, not having one was never an option for me coming from the English world. You know, I knew I wanted to put out the most perfect products that I possibly could. And I also valued education. I still do. So learning as much as I mm -hmm. humanly could was probably priority number one. And then having the book as perfect as possible was, you know, also another priority. So I hired what I thought was a good editor. And then I went to a, a conference, a smaller conference, and just kind of got talking to some other authors and something that some things that they said led me to believe, well, maybe, maybe this editor wasn't as good as I thought, you know, and how do you know? Because I've never seen track changes from an editor before in my life. Um, but I did meet people that had, and mm. one of them, I asked, you know, can you take a look at like maybe two pages of what she sent and tell me if, she, if she did, you know, what your editor does or what an editor is supposed to do. And it was very quick. She came back and she's like, this is crap, <laughs> but you know, my editor mm. was, she was Amazon with an Amazon imprint. She's amazing. She does historical because she adds for me. Would you like to see if me to see if she's taking anyone? And that's how I found my editor who to this day, you know, is like my lifeline. So 
having met other people that can kind of mm-hmm. give you guidance ha- were game changers for me. So getting the right editor was one, absolutely. And I also met my cover designer mm-hmm. at a conference. So again, the networking and things like that. Um, and then having done the research and knowing there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of courses out there. I mean, there's you can yeah. overwhelm very quickly. So what I tried to do was filter through um, to find one or two resources that I could trust and follow and continue to follow to this day. I think one mistake we make when we're trying to learn things is, you know, kind of looking for the new shiny thing. And then you start following other people. I found a few really solid resources that I vetted in the beginning and I just continue to follow them now three years later. Uh, I try, I don't ignore everything Mm. else, but I really try to look at what they're doing because, um, somebody could be successful. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are able to teach you. So if you can find someone who's successful, but also a, a good teacher, then you're in good shape. So I kind of like, I guess this is a long way of saying I vetted the resources that were out there pretty heavily knowing I was doing that. Right. And it, like that filter you mentioned, that filtering sounds like a key skill. Um, like what's the risk of not yeah, filtering, following the wrong path, you, you know, listening to the wrong person. And even now, and you know, as well as I do, there's a lot of kind of scammy things going on in terms of Indian self-publishing because there's a lot of money to be made. So other so people are making money off of mm. um, so who I was three years ago and not knowing a thing. So that's the risk. And certainly it's not without, you know, faults. I mean, I absolutely followed a few people that I was like, wait a minute, that didn't work. You know, you're going to make mistakes. I made mistakes. I did things that I looked back and was like, well, I wish I did something different. But for the most part, 80% of what I learned ended up to be, you know, the right um, advice, I guess you could say. But I just, like I said, having that value of education, like to me, there's nothing more important. No compliment Mm -hmm. to me from a reader is better than this book was better than the last because that means I'm growing. It means I'm still learning. And, you know, if I can do that in 20 years, you know, I might have a really good book, <laughs> a great book. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of great insights. And so you mentioned that you, cause I know that like in this self-publishing world and probably in anything where you're building a product and you're building a brand, right? They, and there's like this common wisdom that you need to like stick with your genre for six books at least. And right. And that the road to success is mm-hmm. really kind of niching in. And, and so when you decided to follow your muse, you probably had awareness of this conventional wisdom, right? Um, what can you walk me through that choice to go? Yeah, sure. So genre? this really came from an epic binge of true blood on HBO. And I fell in love with the show. Mm. I had never read paranormal romance. Uh, wasn't really on my radar at all, but I fell in love with the show and then was just kind of in the vampire mode. So then I watched vampire diaries because I still wasn't reading paranormal romance. And then at that point, I said to some of my readers, guys, you know, I know there's this subgenre out there of paranormal vampire romance. Like, I don't know anything about it in terms of a reader readership. Can you guide me? And so they started giving me some books and then I started reading and you know how that whole go- wormhole goes. I mean, one thing led to another. And then as I read it, then I wanted to give it a shot. Um, but I knew at this yeah. point also it's a business. So I did have a bunch of books, over 10 books under my belt. And I had heard that conventional wisdom, but I also had a lot of people tell me, this is really tricky. I might not do this yet. You know, you're only two years in, um, and there is no right answer whether they were mm-hmm. right or wrong. I, you just, there is no right or wrong. Um, it just, I said to my husband who looks at all the numbers, he's the numbers guy, spreadsheets guy. You know, I said, Mike, what do you think in terms of this as a, uh, mm business decision. He said, well, I think paranormal is bigger than what you're in now. Um, but I don't know that vampire is necessarily the, 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 where you need to go. I mean, there's paranormal, but then there's vampire and shifter and ghosts and things like that. So mm-hmm. I have listened to him and he, he said, you can kind of, this is another 50, 50. You could go either way with this. So I said, let me give it a shot. I'm going to try it out. Um, and I did, and I put out three books. I tried the rapid release and all of that. In it, I'm going to be honest, didn't stick in the way I wanted it to. So I ended up, one of the mm-hmm. missteps that I made was publishing under my name. After talking to a lot of people, I decided I'm going to go ahead and just publish under my name. 
And so I did that. A lot of my historical readers mm -hmm. came over and they did that because there was a character, two characters in the historical books that these were the vampires 700 years later. So they were like, oh, we want to see these guys, you know, 700 uh. years later. So I thought it was clever at the time, but all of these historical readers came over. My also bots were complete mess. I mean, they were all historical. So I have these vampire uh -huh. books with all historical also bots, which means I'm not being shown anywhere on paranormal. And so they did as well as the historical maybe, but not, you know, if I'm getting into this bigger genre, I want to reach new readers. And it, that didn't necessarily happen. So mm -hmm. I went back and um, ended up changing all of the covers and putting it under a pen name. And the next book that I put out in that series, you know, it'll be launched under a pen name. Um, so we'll see. So that one is still a work in progress, to be honest with you. Um, they did fine. They did okay for, you know, what mm -hmm. I do, but the goal of it was let's get into a bigger genre and make a bigger splash. That didn't necessarily happen. Um, because I don't think I got noticed by paranormal people. So my historical people love it and you know, they're great books and I'm happy that I did it, but it's still a work in progress. The series isn't done and I do have to tweak some things in terms of the marketing to see what happens. So that's where I'm at. So I have a random sure. coachy type question. Yeah, for game you, for any if you're game for it. If 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 you were to take, say, a new author who you were mentoring under your wing or somebody who just kind of came yeah. to you advice for advice, and it was them that had launched this mm -hmm. new paranormal romance mm -hmm. series as their first yeah. series that they had ever launched, um would they would yes. you consider them to be yes. successful with the results that you got? <laughs> and it's and i love that you yeah. asked that because as this was happening i know you're headed ethan right i know you well enough to know this um as this was all kind of going uh -huh. down earlier in the year i definitely at one point i had a discussion mm. with another author i said you know this is just how i envisioned it and uh and he said virtually the same thing he said do you think it's possible that you need to kind of shift your mindset in terms of where this should go and where, you know, where you are. I said, are you telling me basically what you just did is, you know, I have to get in, jump into the, like, let's be realistic box. He's like hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> You're brand new to this genre. I mean, I don't uh -huh. know what you thought you were going to do here. I said, well, I thought I was going to launch into be the next JR Ward. It didn't work that way. So yeah, absolutely. And so, but I'm not a patient person. It's one of my flaws. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. So you you clearly you think about the outcomes yeah, when you do the sure. work still. It is. Right? Cuz this is a business. Um so I promised that I would get back to it. I wanted to ask you what your definition is. Under of my definition of success, I am successful because I wake up on Monday and I'm so excited for the week. And so that's my new definition of success. Mm. Um and the bar moves a bit I think as you go because originally the success was publishing a book. Um, then I published a book and success was, I hope readers like the second one as much as they did the first, was it a fluke? So success was, you know, having a good book uh, or a better book. And then when that happened and I started to see financial gain, success was, can I actually make a career? So definitely this measure has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also know it's important to have a measure of success that doesn't change. And so for me, that's, um, you know, living my passion and I'm doing that. So I am successful. And so under that measure, yeah. I'm as happy as a clam and I will be, especially even more so when my kids go back to school or go back, yeah, go back to school and I can actually get back to my job. <laughs> um, I think in the past it was the opposite, you know, after 15 years of teaching, I loved it, but I can't say I was really crying when June came and it was like, you know, I have no job for the summer. Um, now I am when I can't work, it's, it's mm -hmm. devastating to me. You know, I want to be working. So. Yeah. And do does the word balance yeah in terms of balance you? i do struggle with that because i do love my work i have to force myself not to work because this could be a 24 hour you know 24 7 job you know so yeah I, you know i said because this can be a 24 7 job there's always something to do because you're running a business i have to consciously make a decision to not work um you know, because I, mm -hmm. I don't want, I want my kids to see that I am passionate and, you know, what entrepreneurship looks like, but I certainly want to be with them as well. And so I'll make sure, unless I'm under deadline or something like that, um, 
that they always are first, you know? So even if I'm in the middle of something that I would consider like, oh, this really needs to get done. Mom, do you want to have a dance party? Um, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The answer is never. No, of course I want to have a dance party. Of course I want to play a game. That's always number mm -hmm. one. Um, so because of that, I have to have a balance. You know, there's really no other choice. If I put them as a priority, a balance is, is a necessary thing. Otherwise I'd be working. Right. So, so does, does, how do you get then like, like make that shift from my mm -hmm. family's number one, but I have this career that depends on me. Being it, if it's hard in the summer during the, right. when they're in school, it's an easy, easier time of it because I love the work so much that I don't notice that I haven't gone to the bathroom or I haven't eaten lunch or, you know, I'm working harder now than I ever did. And they get on the bus and I don't stop until they get off the bus. And so that's not an issue because I love it. I'm disciplined. Mm -hmm. You know, I spend mornings writing afternoons marketing unless I have a deadline. So, and it's fine. And then once they're home, then I'm with them and that's it. And if I need to, you know, use a Saturday morning because I need to, because there's a deadline, then I do. And they're with dad and I go to the coffee shop, but I only mm -hmm. do that, you know, periodically. The summer I found it hard because they are here all the time. I want to spend all the time with them. And I have had to kind of tell myself I'm working. Mm -hmm. This is, this is like a job for me. Um, so, you know, we try to do like guys morning is moms and then after lunch, then we'll do something fun. Um, and that sounds great in theory, <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily work that way mm -hmm. every day. Um, but, you know, maybe 70% of the time that works fine, but there's times where they need me, even though it's, I'm supposed to be writing or, you know, times where the afternoon is supposed to be for them. But like this week I am under deadline. So, um, there, there's, you know, there is no necessarily, you know, this is how it mm. works because it doesn't always work and you just run with it. So what happens to your, I don't know, your, your emotional state of being, if you don't get to do the work you love. It's not a pretty while. thing. Um, I did not have my laptop. What I'm trying to think of what, what there was, a, I go on a lot of like, I'll go to conferences or different things, you know, and I just booked a trip in two weeks to Florida for a weekend to speak. And so there's things like that where I know, okay, that week, I'm going to be gone for three days. So I want to do extra things with the kids for a few days. Um, but there was one, and I'm trying to think of where I went. Oh, it was a girl's trip that we did. And it was mother and daughter girl's trip. And I usually take my laptop everywhere because I'm an early morning riser when I'm away. So I'm not typically in my normal life. Like I'm up late watching Netflix. So I'm not an early morning person, but when I'm away or, you know, when I need to be, I'll get up before everyone else just to get my words in. So if I'm let's say on vacation, I take my laptop on vacation, but I wake up early mm -hmm. so that I could get an hour or two in before anyone, anyone else wakes up. And then I feel good about the day because I've gotten some work in and I'm ready to go. Um, but this particular trip, we went to New York for two mm -hmm. nights and we were all packing light because the first day we were getting there, we were just having a backpack and we were running around the city all day. I'm like, I can't carry my laptop all day with me. I'll be dying at the end of the day. So I didn't take it for three days and I did wake up early and I was just sitting there and I was like, I want to work. So it was hard. I had a hard time. I'm going to be honest with you. I did. Yeah. Mm hmm. <laughs> I, I relate to that. If, especially in the summertime with the kids and, you know, we're driving mm -hmm. around or traveling and there tend, sometimes there's these long weekends. Mm -hmm. I write during the week and like it's halfway through Monday and I still haven't written yes, anything I'm like I'm yeah, feeling, isn't that I'm weird? Grum I'm feeling grumpy. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm, e I'm edgy. Like I'm aware of it. Like, oh my gosh! It, imagine being edgy because you can't work. I mean, but yeah. it is a thing. I mean, you know, it's 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 as real as I'm edgy because I have to go to work. So I don't know. I don't know. There is. I don't know what the answer is. But yeah. for me, it's just kind of getting those words in. And I feel I'm very scheduled. So you know, I'll write three thousand words a day. At the end of the week, it's fifteen thousand. If I don't hit that, I make it up. So I just, I feel more comfortable when I have a goal and I meet it than I am if I just am kind of flying by the seat of my pants. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so this has all been great. Sure. Um, I have one, one final question for you. Um, do you have like any 
advice for people who maybe are thinking about jumping into writing or thinking about quitting their job to go full time? You know, anybody yeah. that you want to maybe yeah. help bring First along with something? All, that yeah, you absolutely. First piece of advice is um, be less shy than you feel because for me, connecting with other people, I said this once before, it was really a game changer. Um, when you're in a new industry, navigating alone can not only be lonely, but it can be, it can lose you a lot of time if you go down the wrong path. Um, and if no one else reach out to me, I am an educator at heart. It's something that I sometimes miss, which is why I think I'm kind of leaning into a little bit of the nonfiction world. I love educating. I love teaching. So when people come mm. to me, I'm more than happy to tell them anything that they want to know because others have done that for me. And I think it's important. Um, so reach out, even if it doesn't feel 100% comfortable. You know, I, my son went to basketball camp this week, and the first day he kind of hung back and said, you just sit anybody with, uh, you know, with anyone at lunch? And he's like, well, I did, but I didn't really, like, put myself out there. He said, but I know what you're going to say, that I have to mm. get out of my comfort zone a little bit, and I'll try tomorrow. So I would say that to anyone. You know, if it's out of your comfort zone to go to a conference or to – message someone on Facebook or to email another author, do it anyway, because that's where the really awesome things happen. Um, if you're, you know, even in the middle of your career and you're looking at, should I quit my job? Is it the right time? Do I, am I making enough? And I'm not sure. Again, I'd reach out to other people in that situation. So mm -hmm. for me, it kind of begins and ends with the connections and the people that are around you, you know, because they have more experience than you. Right. I have a little bit to teach people that are starting and, you know, a year or two into their journey, but I don't have a ton to teach people who have been doing it for five or 10 years. Um, there's other people out there that can, mm -hmm. can teach me things. So I think it's kind of, you know, we all have something to share with others. And I will tell you this. Um, I found a great group of historical romance authors when I jumped into paranormal, I remembered how difficult it was. That was kind of probably one of the starkest realizations. Like, wow, I don't have friends in paranormal. Mm. I forget. How did I make friends? <laughs> and, mm. and so it does remind me that it's not easy in the beginning. You know, when I look at other authors that are all hugging at conferences and they have their tribe and they have their people, um, it's easy to forget. I didn't have that at all. Three years ago, right. I went to the first WWA, 4,000 people. I not, didn't know a soul. And that is scary. Um, and like I said, I was reminded of that jumping into the paranormal and it is scary, yeah. but, and I'm sure other people s can say, listen, you don't need to do that. You don't have to reach out to people. You can do this, you know, just by finding information online. And I just think there's so much others that are in your situation mm -hmm. have to offer. So that's probably my biggest piece of advice. And if you, if you're listening and you're like, well, I don't know who to reach yeah. out to, you know, try me or Ethan. Else. Yeah. So how, how can how can listeners so i'm at cecilia mecca pretty much everywhere um i'm on facebook at cecilia mecca instagram twitter i still love twitter it's kind of a dying breed especially when you're trying to you know sell product but i love it um and mm. check it every day so i'm there pretty much at cecilia mecca anywhere you can find me cool and you have a facebook group for authors as well right i do it's called launching indie and i started that um, in the fall with another author named Shane Silvers. He's urban fantasy. And I also too think, you know, don't worry about if I'm romance and you're not, or somebody's not, you know, Shane has taught me a ton mm -hmm. and we have this group together and he's urban fantasy. I think crossing genres, especially in an industry like this, there's a lot to learn from everyone. And then obviously some genre specific things, but we started that as a place to, you know, have a group. There's a lot of author groups. I mean, did we really need another author group? I don't know, but we wanted a place that was a positive forward thinking environment. You know, mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. were already places where you can go and say, okay, my Amazon dashboard's broke. Like, is anybody else's broke? What is going on? Amazon's right. driving me crazy again today. That's not what our space, you know, we wanted it to be a, um, let's wake up on Monday and get ready to kick butt together type of thing. So great. that's why we created it. And that's actually a, a great place to ask questions too. And there's some people in there that are brand new, just getting into writing. Um, so it's, it's for anyone really. Yeah. And there's definitely people in there who are having by any measure of the word, great success yeah. right now to available to be human beings and be supportive. I know that. 
And they are. And we ask them that. And if you read, if you come in and you read the kind of description, we actually ask them to do that. You know, if you're in here, it's almost like a little pack to help others or reach out a hand periodically. And we've had some amazing authors do that, that Mm -hmm. really don't need to, but are sharing their successes or sharing their methods. And it's not just us, other author groups. I find it a great community and a giving community. Um, But when they do that, it's just, it's amazing because it helps everyone. That's awesome. Cecilia Mecca, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I wish I was going to see you in Vegas, but I know at some point in the future we'll connect. We'll have to figure it out. Yes. The independent songwriting community lost a dear friend in talented performer, beautiful soul, Lori Williams. Lori was the beloved daughter of Anne and Tom Welsh, and she passed away on July 27th in Kauai. Um, I remember meeting Lori in 2007 at the Kauai Songwriting Festival, and I was just really struck by her quiet, peaceful um, demeanor. She had real beautiful spirit to her, and when she opened her mouth to sing and play songs, just so beautiful. And I'm really touched that I had the opportunity to meet and know Lori and her mother, Anne. Um, Lori was born in Los Angeles, California in 1959 and always had a love for music. She became an accomplished singer-songwriter and entertained in Los Angeles and Ojai, London and Japan, and then eventually found her way to Kauai. And her and her mother created an album together of original blues songs, so to honor her memory and to listen to their music you can go to williamsandwelsh.com there will be information in the show notes i hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the fearless storyteller as a reminder any and all links can be found in the show notes and if you're enjoying this podcast will you please consider leaving a review By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.